series titled Heavenly with the perspective of bringing heaven to earth. What heavenly on earth looks like. We've talked about the heavenly father. We've talked about the heavenly man, uh, which is Jesus. We've talked about the heavenly gift, which is the Holy Spirit. We've talked about heavenly women and the importance of women in ministry and how God speaks through his bride and speaks through women. And we have talked about heavenly places. And today we're going to talk about how the heavenly man creates heavenly men, how the heavenly father creates heavenly fathers. And we're going to talk about why it's important for men to have a heavenly perspective for their family and for their future. A lot of men feel stuck and a lot of men feel like they aren't measuring up to the expectations that the world or their family has put on them or the expectations that they've put on themselves. And so we often find ourselves succumbing to this feeling of constant pressure to provide, constant pressure to be the leader, or constant pressure to perform. And the truth is, is God never meant for you to feel that pressure. He meant for you to rest in the midst of it. God always wants to be our provider. There's no place in the Bible that says, and the man or the husband shall be the provider. But what it does say is that the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of their home. Heavenly husbands implement five things when it comes to how they lead their wives. I want a heavenly wife, but that requires something from me. It requires me to be the spiritual leader of my home. It requires me to stay in position to be a man of fire and passion and walk intimately with God. Otherwise, I'll never be able to lead my family. Now, my wife hears from the Lord as much and sometimes more than I do. She is like the bride of Christ. She's my bride. And marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church. And so I'm just going to jump right away to Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, it says, husbands, there's five things. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, who gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her and wash her with the water of the word that he would present her to himself a, a spotless bride without blemish. Five things. Love perfectly. Lay your life down the way that Jesus did. Be like Christ to your bride. Love perfectly. Be like Jesus. Sanctify and cleanse with the washing of the water of the word and present her to him. I'm not being a spiritual leader to my wife to present her to me. That would be vain. Instead, I'm loving her like Jesus does to present her to him. Now, one thing I can tell you is when my wife is struggling or going through a difficult time or a hardship, the last thing that she wants me to do is just start quoting scripture to her. That's not really going to work. Instead, I become the word in flesh and wash her by speaking life to her and encouragement and comfort and strength to her as Christ would to the church. So Jesus gave himself and loved his wife, his bride, which is us, by dying on the cross to sanctify and wash and cleanse. So you become the word in flesh, men. That's why you can't not spend time in the word. The word becomes you. So I could literally speak comfort or listen or give her advice without necessarily even quoting a scripture, but yet I'm quoting scripture. Do you understand that? Now this applies to your children in every situation. You become the word, not some weird religious robot that just quotes scripture all the time. Now, I know the word, I quote scripture, and I confess scripture, but I have become the word. Jesus became, Jesus was the word that became flesh. Now the word in you becomes flesh. This is what makes a heavenly man. 
Think about it. The heavenly man is living inside of you. So now you become heavenly men and women. The word is in you. Now you've become the word in flesh. You ever met these kind of weird religious Christians that all they ever do is hallelujah, praise the Lord and quote scripture? I'm just telling you. It's like you can't even have a normal conversation with them. Now I love them and I, can, I have a lot of patience for that. A lot of patience for that. Because in many ways I was just like that. But the point I'm trying to tell you is there's a better way. And for I'm going to start right off with the wife thing. I'm going to hit you with a lot of realities today of what makes men heavenly. What makes men heavenly, front and center, the number one indicator for a man is how they treat their spouse or how they treat their family or how they treat others. It's a clear identifier. But most men don't know what it means to be the spiritual head of their home. I'll never be able to control or dominate Amber. She's tough. She's strong. She's stable. She's completely opposite of me. And she's everything that I need in my life. She's opposite by design. But what makes this thing work is not me controlling and oppressing and suppressing her. And trust me, I miss it a lot. Hence, heavenly men really know how to say sorry. A lot. Eat crow and apologize. You don't have to be tough. I have to apologize a lot. I get defensive, I get selfish, and I don't always get it right. But I know what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives. The only way that you can love them is the way that Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He laid his life down and gave himself for her. Why? That he might sanctify. What does sanctify it means? It means to separate her and to take her out of the struggles and the cares and the worries and the fears of this world. Now, I'm not Jesus, but in many ways, I become like Christ to her. And what that means is that when she's struggling and going through a difficult time, I can advise and counsel and comfort and strengthen her through it or point her to him or remind her of the promises. And many times it's, it goes the other way around. Because if you look at wives submit, verse 22, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, the word submission means it's, it's the word to undergird. It's to become a firm foundation. It's what real helpmate means. It means that now she becomes this. It's a symbiotic, koinonia, mutual benefiting relationship. But God holds me accountable. God holds the man accountable. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree, who ate first? Eve. But who did God hold accountable? And so God doesn't ever let the man get out. You don't ever get out. My best advice for you men is don't bite the apple. And women, don't bite the apple. And you better believe that the devil's going to work overtime on the wives and on the bride, just like he works on overtime with us. Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding as to the weaker vessel. She's weaker in the context that the devil works on overtime against your spouse and against your bride to get her to be deceived like Eve was deceived. Because they're tender and they're fragile and they're sensitive. But here's the great reality of this all. Men aren't any different. We're all the bride of Christ is just as weak. 
I'm just as weak and broken. So I need Jesus consistently ministering to me, the heavenly man inside my heart, ministering to me so that I can love her properly. And when the devil comes along with the shiny apple and says, bite this to be a better person, bite this, it'll make you feel good. Bite this, it'll make you smarter. The internet's full of apple trees, folks. When are we going to get this? Ladies, you have to stop biting the apple too. That tree of knowledge of good and evil is everywhere. And you better believe the devil is tempting the bride of Christ to bite the apple. But thank God Jesus never bit the apple. What would have happened if Adam didn't bite the apple? You ever thought about that? I had somebody once tell me if he didn't bite, he would have divorced her and put her away. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not what would have happened. If Adam didn't bite the apple, he would have brought healing and comfort and set his wife free. Why? Because there was a second Adam that didn't bite the apple that set his wife free. Can't you see it? You got to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And heavenly men are constantly consuming from this tree of life. Mark in worship said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yes, it does. But the second part of that scripture is when it's fulfilled, it becomes a tree of life. So every one of your struggles that's being deferred with your children, your daughter, your sons, everything's blowing up, springs are popping, everything's chaotic all around you. And it feels like, man, I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. Sickness, hardship, finances, kids combusting, the world's combusting. What we understand is on the other side's a promise. On the other side is a tree of life. It may be deferred for a moment, but hang on, mama. Hang on, daddy. Because on the other side's a promise. On the other side's an inheritance. Think about Abraham. When Abraham was called out from his homeland, he didn't know where he was going, but he was obedient because on the other side was an inheritance, was a promise. And that's what we're going to talk about with heavenly men is heavenly men lay their lives down and literally prepare for what lies ahead. A true indicator of a heavenly man is a man that is preparing and framing the future for the promises of God, for their kids and their family. Noah built an ark. Abraham left out from his homeland and was obedient to God. Issachar had sons that prophesied. Philip had four virgin daughters that prophesy. But I'm telling you, it starts in the home. And one of the best things for men to understand is God wants heavenly husbands. So if you're single, you must become like Lapidoth, Deborah's husband. You don't know anything about Deborah's husband except his name. And his name means a flame of fire. I want to propel her. It can be all about her. I know what's inside of her. She's got children's books. She started a co-op. That's, that's incredible. It's the best co-op in the nation. I'm a little biased. It's kind of like my coffee shop. But it's sold out, and, and I'm telling you, God is breathing life on my bride. If she expands and propels and I decrease, I'm happy. Jesus decreased. John the Baptist decreased. Jesus went to the cross to propel his bride. So women, do not settle for a man anything less than after his heart. And men, if you've fallen short, God's a God of a million chances. We need real men and real fathers that are flamed on and on fire. That doesn't mean I always get it right, but it means that I'm quick to apologize and repent. David didn't always get it right, but was called a man after God's own heart, even though he committed adultery and murder. 
And God said, before he committed adultery and murder, I have found a man. He's 14 years old, leading sheep and playing a harp, and no one knows. No one knew but God. And he says to Samuel, I found a man after my, a man? He's 14. I found a man after my own heart. And then Saul's servant, when Saul's combusting and manifesting a demon, and it's like, man, let's find you a little heart player to make you feel better. And Saul's servant says, well, I've heard of a man who's skilled at war and playing and a musician. Only God knew that. And so David is anointed in advance even when God knew failure would come. But what made, God, what made David a man after God's own heart is despite your shortcomings and your failures, you know how to say sorry. And you know how to get on your knees and repent and be broken and just get married and you'll figure out how to do that. <laughs> so I have a responsibility. Do I, I know what it is says in the Bible. Do I always get it right? No. But the beauty of a heavenly man is he walks in grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness for himself. Whether you give it to me or whether she gives it to me, if you don't learn how to forgive yourself, you'll live under condemnation and pressure all the time. Forgive yourself. We talk about forgiving others and yet we never forgive ourselves. And if you don't learn the forgiveness for yourself, you'll never learn it for your kids and for somebody else. A heavenly man always lives, listen to me, he always lives in hopeful expectation of what's to come. You're never stuck, men. You're never stuck, women, because God gives heavenly vision. That's next week. God gives you a heavenly vision to see what lies ahead. Now, follow me, because we're going to spend a lot of time in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to talk about Noah and Abraham, but I first want to start out by talking about the elders. So verse 1 says, now faith is the substance or realization of things hoped for and the evidence or confidence of things not yet seen. So a heavenly man or heavenly men lives with future vision. You're building your home. You're building the things that God's given you and trust you for a bigger purpose. Not to hide out in bunkers as end time preppers, but you understand the world's combusting. I need to build an ark. We understand that the world is combusting. I need to prepare my children. And how I prepare my children is different than the way the world would think. I'm preparing my children not just to be better athletes or to be better at their grades or to get careers and go to college, but to be prophetic and to be full of power and to be the answer to a crazy world that's in front of them. People say to me, man, raising kids, I can't imagine raising kids in this day and age or what your kids have in store. I'm like, are you kidding? I can't imagine not raising kids in this age. This is exciting because now the darker the world gets, the brighter that we shine. I keep telling you that. You're only, you're, you will see the brightness of Christ in you in the darker the, the way the, the world becomes, right? So heavenly men have a vision. Heavenly men see what's to come. Heavenly men know there's more than what he sees and he frames the future by confident faith. It's a substance, which is a realization and an evidence, which is a confidence, 
That's why I say to you, there's no such thing as blind faith. Abraham may not have known exactly where he was going, but he knew the direction that God told him to go. And he was listening to Christ and obedient the entire time. But look at verse two, look at Hebrews 11 two. I'm gonna teach you guys something you're gonna really like. For by it, by what? By faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Verse three, I'm sorry, verse four, or verse three. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Now, let me tell you something about this word framed. You have been framed. Let's everybody say this together. Say, I have been framed. framed. Say, I'm being framed. framed. Now say, I'm framing my future by faith. Now, I don't know a ton about framing pictures except this. If I've got a really awesome painting or picture and you put a bad frame on it, it ruins the picture or the painting. So to frame means to prepare in advance, to repair what's been broken. To frame means to ensure that everything is going to be successful in what lies ahead. So the elders obtained a good testimony by framing the future by faith. So we frame the future of our lives and our family by faith. It's a setup. Everybody say it's a setup. You've been framed. It means that you call those things to be not as though they were. Earlier this year, I preached a message in March titled Fully Convinced. It came from Romans chapter four. Abraham being 100 years old and Sarah being 90 in her womb, fully dead received the promise from God 25 years prior, and for 25 years, they stood on that promise. And even in the midst of that, they combusted and had a baby with Hagar. And God still maintained the promise, didn't he? And so what happened? Abraham, being fully convinced, did not waver, walked by faith, and he called those things that be not being fully dead as though they were. And so we understand that the worlds, this word worlds here is the word ages, not the universe. He framed every age on earth by faith. The elders did. So what's this age we're in? What's the age to come? Let me tell you something. Our president may have fallen down the stairs or off his bike, but Jesus didn't fall off the throne. And, and I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter what happens on earth, Jesus is on the throne. And God has a plan, and he's not caught off guard, and he's not sidetracked, and he's not going, oh, man, scratching his head. I didn't, what? Oh, man, I didn't see that coming. No, he's looking at you and me, and he's looking at us to frame the future. That's why we fight. That's why I believe this November we're going to see a monster shift because of the framing of the future by faith because of the church. The church is rising up and standing up and not being passive with governance. We're literally framing the future by raising up school board members and superintendents and government leaders that love Jesus and are full of the spirit. God's going to raise you up to be involved in school boards and superintendents, city councils and city managers. Why not? God calls us to be at the city gates. And so by faith, we frame the future. We see by faith. We love, we live by faith. We walk by faith. And we obtain a good testimony by faith. Remember that. You frame the future. Frame the future. Call those things that be not as though they were. 
You have to understand that what you see in the natural was created by the supernatural. What you see in the visible was created by the invisible. So something's bigger and better, not even something, someone is bigger and better and above it. And heavenly men understand that. And so we obtain a good testimony. Heavenly men look and see the bigger picture for the next generation. Heavenly men are okay understanding that the next generation is going to run further. They're going to see more and they're going to obtain more than even we will. Let your sons outrun you. Let your children grow further and go beyond where we'll ever go. And you realize that as you get a little older, the first half of your life, you spend so much time trying to acquire things and careers and testimonies and educate or or, uh, stuff and education and all these things that you work hard to accumulate only to realize that most of those things don't even matter. I mean, you can have so many cars and guns and boats and houses and stuff to where you finally realize like what really matters? It's all gonna burn in the end anyway. I've gotta create a spiritual legacy and inheritance that's even bigger and better than that for my children. So what are we building? Let's take a look at Noah in Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven. By faith, watch this, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Catch that. He was warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So men, build an ark. Let me explain something to you about this new sanctuary. I'm not building it to have a bigger, better, badder, more awesome church. We're building it because we know what's coming. Our two services cannot contain one service. We know a harvest is coming. I know God's given us a mandate to, to build something that will make the name of the Lord and the flame of the Lord burn bright all over the world. I know that God wants to build a family where the broken and the hurting can come and see what normal looks like. I also know the harvest is coming. So I don't see it yet, but I know it's coming. And so we're building, in a sense, an ark for a family to come in and to rise above. There's a storm coming. In fact, I believe that the storm has already started, obviously. But God has a plan in the midst of the storm. Your leaf stays green in the year of drought. I get it. Gas prices, inflation, all that stuff. But you're of the kingdom of God. So we're combusting and manifesting and angry, partly because we're so consumed with the news and the media. And I get it, the world is combusting. But if you wanna condemn the world, you don't do it on Facebook by how you type. Here's how you condemn the world. Here's how, be obedient. Build the ark. By building the ark and saving his household, when Noah got rescued, the world came into condemnation. The world's already in condemnation. I'm not even out to condemn the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I'm just telling you, you have got to fight differently. Build an ark, rise above it, prepare in advance and frame the future and you will save your household. Be obedient with godly fear. Heavenly fathers embrace the better thing that God has ahead and live lives just passing through to get to their ultimate home. Heavenly men prepare arks to save their household. Notice that the ark was for his household, to save his household. And in turn, the world, see, wisdom's justified by her children. People are going to look at you and say, what is it that's different about you? 
All the world's combusting, but you're not. That's the way that it has to be. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And, went, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has its foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So heavenly men are obedient to God, even in the uncertainty of where God's calling them to. Think about this. We say, God, I'll step out. If you make a way, I'll step out. If, if you make a way, I'll go. But God says, yeah, it doesn't work like that. If you step out, I'll make a way. If you go, I'll make a way. So we're, many of you are staying in your safe zone. You're not leaving your careers. You're not making shifts and changes. You're not being obedient to the Lord to start the businesses or be creative or write the books or step into ministry or do the things that God's called you to do because you're safe and secure where you're at. And it doesn't work that way. God called Abraham to go and he didn't even know. He's like not even sure where he was going, but he was obedient to know that on the other side, there was an inheritance. And so what did he do? God called Abraham to the promised land before there was a promised land. And when he got there, he dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, in tents as in a foreign country. Why? Because earth is not your ultimate home. And he didn't want to go back. The Israelites wanted, many of them wanted to go back to Egypt, but there's no going back. So look what the scripture says. It's powerful. It says that he was obedient to go where God told him to go. And he went out not knowing. And by faith, he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country with his children who were heirs to the promise. And he waited for a city that was built by God. Heavenly men dwell with a promise no matter the circumstance. They know there's this inheritance coming. So we're in a craziest situation of our life. I've been saying, Lord, God, I need a break. We need a rest. We need to get some sanity in our life. Our house is upside down. We've been fighting to rescue and adopt a four-year-old girl. It's been difficult for us. Health stuff, all this stuff's going on. People combusting, businesses, church, all kinds of stuff. It's like a cra it's crazy town. And yet we know on the other side, there's an inheritance and there's a promise. So we stay the course. If you don't have a vision for what lies ahead, you will combust in the process of getting there. And so Abraham didn't combust. He was faithful. He's like, man, here we are dwelling in tents, but my children are heirs according to this promise. So you know that there's a promise. So you're dwelling with a promise, even in times of uncertainty. This is what I want you to get. Even though things may be, seem crazy, you still have a promise. So you frame the future and you trust God for what lies on the other side. As a father were to look, see, embrace, and confess with assurance what lies ahead. And even if you die before you fully see the promise of God established, you die in faith. Look at this scripture. Hebrews eleven thirteen. Watch this. If I die early, I just want to let you all know. I want to die in faith. Look at the scripture. These all died in faith. <laughs> Not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, confessed. Look at these words. They saw, they were assured, they embraced, and they confessed. What? 
This isn't my home. I have a heavenly country. I'm going to someplace better and I don't want to go back to where I came from. And so if I die in the process, I'm propelling. Think about handing the baton to your children. Think about Elijah. You know, I call Elijah a mantle quarterback. He passed the mantle to Elisha. He passed it to the next generation. And you realize as you get older, somehow as I got when I got 50, I really recognized and realized what matters the most. But you don't have to wait till you're 50. You can do it as a young adult. You can do it as a teenager. Everything's about passing it to the generations to come. Now, this scripture pertains to the understanding that the forefathers and the patriarchs and the prophets talked about in Hebrews 11 could see from afar off the promise of the Messiah. But guess who's got the Messiah now? You do. You can. All you got to do is say, Jesus, come into my life. I surrender all. Be the Lord of my life. And I'm looking to you and trusting you. And it doesn't mean you're going to get it all right all the time. But though you fall seven times, you get yourself back up. You're quick to repent, quick to apologize, stay in his word, staying in the house of God, loving, giving, apologizing. You don't need to be a tough and a bad, you know what? You need to be a man after God's own heart no matter what. And you need to see the promises from afar off. That's why we have Dr. Keith doing his podcast and fighting for our nation and why we're doing CCDF. All the things that we're doing is to see, to see the promises of God because he's looking to you and me to frame the future by faith for the promises of God to be established in our children's life. You have to. And so all these people died in faith, not seeing the promises. And I've seen a lot of promises. But you know what I know about Zion, Cadence, and Kai? my three kids under 10, is that they're going to run further, farther, and see more, and experience more, and grab onto promises more. I have a gen- you have a generational promise in your life. You know, we talk about generational curses. Well, I can give you a whole list of generational curses my dad passed down. Or genera- a better word than generational curses is generational consequences. Let's use that word as better. Okay. Because the consequence of my dad sleeping with massive amounts of women and being a, a whoremonger, the consequences of my dad in broken relationships and marriages and serving himself is, and the, the, the uh, consequences of my dad being abandoned and orphaned when his dad died when he was five, my grandpa, was all, that, all those consequences were passed right to me. Why? He left me when I was five, abandonment, neglect, whoremonger, all the stuff that I did just like him. And many times I would be right in the middle of a battle and God would say, this is exactly what your dad did. Old man, take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you were. You don't realize how true that song actually is. And so these generational consequences are destructive, but think about the better thing, the generational promises. Now my kids get a dad that, they, that I never had. And never say to yourself, I'm never going to be like my dad. You know, you know why? Because the minute you say, I'm not going to be like my dad or like my mom, is the minute that your mom or dad becomes the standard that you measure by. The better thing to do is instead of making that vow and judgment, say, I'm going to be like the heavenly father. Because we forgive our parents because they didn't know what they were doing. Even if they were abusive and horrible and terrible, they were in full deception. 
So you've got to understand that you've got a better, better measurement. It's called the tree of life. Make the tree of life. Jesus, your standard. Now bring generational promises. So heavenly men release the promises of God to their children for their future. Now my children have to pick it up. But as long as they're in my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, when they turn 18, they can choose to do what they want, but I'll train them. This is a baffling thing to me about the scripture. Train, train a child in the way they should go so that when they're older, why did it have to say older? Why can't it just be while they're still young? I'm like, God, when is older? Please don't let it be much longer. I don't know when older is, but what I do know is, is you train a child. And you do your part. Because when you do your part, God moves. If one of the ways that God says he doesn't hear your prayers is if I treat her wrong, abusive, and angry, and I have my moments, she knows that. She has hers too, by the way. <laughs> not abusive. We're not saying abusive moments, but you have, we have our moments. But the point is, is that I'm, I am constantly doing all I can to make sure I'm loving like Christ and God doesn't let me out of it. If I manifest and I do something erroneous, as soon as I go to the Lord, it's like, I'm looking at you, son. I'm looking at you. And so this relationship dynamic is a picture of Jesus and the church and that's what your children see. So now they get a better promise. This is why divorce is so destructive because it breaks covenant. This is why living together outside of wedlock is so destructive because it breaks covenant. It doesn't show them commitment. So if you're living with your spouse and you're not married, you're literally showing your children that that's okay. Covenant and commitment doesn't matter. Now God's patient, isn't he? He's merciful and kind. But you have to understand, it's like, I don't understand why premarital sex is wrong because it breaks covenant. It breaks commitment. It's lack of perfect love. It's everything opposite and contrary to who he is. And the world and society is full of that, which is why we have to be extra aggressive to disconnect from it. So generational promises. So look at this. So they died in faith. They confessed that they're strangers and pilgrims on earth. This, you are a stranger. The more you get close to the Lord, the more you will feel like a stranger in this world. And it's like, I don't want to be a stranger. But that's how it works. You're not of this world. You must disconnect. Your significance is not in your popularity, your fame, your money, your notoriety, your recognition, your Facebook, your Instagram. Be insignificant. And God will make you significant. Significance is only found in your identity in Christ. And so heavenly men realize that and understand that and say, whatever it takes, because that's how I release the promises to my children. I build the ark, I frame the future, and I'm obedient to step out and do what God tells me to do when it makes no sense. In the natural, it makes no sense. So they confessed, strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And look at verse 14. Those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have an opportunity to return. But now they desire something better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. Abraham was looking for a heavenly Jerusalem. 
He was looking for a city not made by hands, but built by God. Abraham got this. You and I can too, because we've got it in the, in the scriptures. Right. Earth is not your final destination. And so the whole premise of the scripture is that while he was there, he was desiring something better and not to go back to Egypt. Well, he didn't have to go back to Egypt. But the point is, is we're not going back to the land that we came from. And we're not just going to, think about Israel. I believe that to this day, Israel has still not received the promised land. Because the promised land is the city not made by hands. It's bigger. They got the land in the natural and it's still a cup of trembling that they're fighting, no rest. How do I know they didn't get the promised land? Because the promised land equals full rest from your enemies. There's a better city coming. And if you're not looking for the heavenly Jerusalem, I could do a whole message on the heavenly Jerusalem, but I'm, I'm not yet. But I'm saying to you, Abraham was looking for a city that was not built by hands. Eternity starts now. Love live differently and God will give you the resources and equip you to not just barely pass through, but to pass through with the silver and gold of the world, the wealth of the wicked. Somebody said to me recently, what's God doing in all this? I said, he's storing up the wealth of the wicked for the righteous. What do you think's actually shaking out right now? You're like, oh, hopeless and destitute, pumping gas and angry. And he did that, I did that. <laughs> Except you're using a different finger. Well, you better, you shouldn't be. You don't do that, don't do that. But my point I'm trying to make to you is that what if this whole time God was framing you? What if this whole time God was setting you up? What if this whole time God was literally giving you a hope and a future and preparing something better for you than you could even see or imagine? But you got to desire something better. So heavenly men desire something better. Heavenly men are looking because if you don't, you're going to get, you're going to combust. I'm just gonna tell you right now, this, I cannot do this without Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I would have long combusted, folks. So would you. And if you've combusted, pick yourself up and repent. If you've combusted, say, God, I want all that you have for me, whatever it looks like. And God has this way of doing that in your life. So we desire a better place, a heavenly country, verse 16. So now God's not ashamed to be called your God because he's preparing something for you. Heavenly men know something better is being prepared. Heavenly men receive the promises of God. They see them from afar off. Heavenly men are assured without wavering and they're fully convinced. Heavenly men embrace the promises of God and confess that they're strangers and pilgrims on earth. Heavenly men are seeking another homeland and won't return to where they've come from. Heavenly men desire something better and the heavenly father's excited about it. The heavenly, father, heavenly fathers command their children in their household to serve God and to honor God. Look at Genesis chapter 18, verse 17 through 19. So this story is that God was about to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And God actually wanted to save Sodom and Gomorrah. The problem was there wasn't one righteous man in the city. And Abraham pleaded for God to not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, God, if I could find 50, but there wasn't 50. If I could find 30, 20, 10, there wasn't even one righteous man after God's own heart in that city. It was wicked. So God's like, I'm gonna wipe it out. 
But notice what God says as he's talking to himself. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? You've got to see this. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice and that the Lord may bring to Abraham what has been spoken to him. So in order to command my family, I have to be extra intentional as a spiritual heavenly man and a heavenly father. It takes work and it is stinking hard, folks. It is hard. It is so hard especially at 51 with three under 10. I'm just telling you, my body doesn't quite work the way that it used to work. I seem, I have to work harder at it. So you have to be diligent as a heavenly man and a heavenly father to command your children to walk in righteousness and to do justice. And as long as you're in my house, And it doesn't mean I'm abusive. It doesn't mean I'm controlling. It means I'm extra loving and merciful and gracious, but I'm also good, have to be good at disciplining. That's probably the hardest part. But heavenly men are like Abraham. They're friends of God. Think of John 15. In John 15, it says, you're no longer, I no longer call you a servant because a servant doesn't know what the master's doing but I call you friends because you have insight and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You are a friend of God. Say, I'm a friend of God. God. Heavenly men have vision for the times and seasons they live in and they train their sons and gain insight into what is happening and what to do in those times. First Chronicles 12, 32, talking about Issachar. Issachar's sons had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So Issachar had prophetic sons. How about Philip? Acts 21.9. Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Why does it say virgin daughters? Because they had made a decision to not compromise and to truly stay celibate until their husbands came. That means that they were guarded, they were full of the spirit, and they were prophetic in everything that they do. We need prophetic sons and prophetic daughters. And that means you have to cultivate the prophetic in your home. Teach your kids to prophesy. Why? Because prophecy requires listening to the Lord and being obedient. Even if they fail or they miss it, you're teaching them to learn to hear and to learn to speak. Philip had prophetic daughters. Issachar had prophetic sons. Abraham was obedient to God and commanded his household to be obedient. Heavenly men have a heavenly father. There's no such thing as a heavenly orphan. I'm going to say that again. Heavenly men have a heavenly father. There is no such thing as a heavenly orphan. It's a, it's no, there's no such thing. Without the heavenly father's heart, the heavenly man's reality and the heavenly gift activated in you, there'll be no heavenly men. Heavenly men bring heavenly wives by dying on the cross and, and helping their wife not to not eat the apple. Don't bite that. And they don't bite it either. Now they both together don't bite the apple. 
when the lies and the fear and the difficulties and the struggles and the confusion comes and the uncertainty comes, don't bite the apple. I'm gonna close with these affirmations. You just listen and receive them. Heavenly men look. Heavenly men wait. Heavenly men prepare. Heavenly men rest in trust. Heavenly men have access. Heavenly men cultivate spiritual realities on earth. Heavenly men are prophetic. Heavenly men are merciful, gracious, and forgiving. Heavenly men are filled with the spirit, and when they get depleted, they refill. Heavenly men store up their treasures in heaven. Heavenly men understand the work of the cross. Heavenly men are dead to sin. Heavenly men are weak and broken. Heavenly men love their wives no matter what. Heavenly men lead their family with vision. Heavenly men have qualifications. Heavenly men find their significance only in Christ. Heavenly men decrease so Jesus can increase. Heavenly men prepare the way. Heavenly men worship. Heavenly men pray. Heavenly men read their Bible. Heavenly men both follow and go before Jesus where he's about to go. Heavenly men chase after the Father's heart. Only the Heavenly Father can make a man heavenly. And when a man gets the heart of the Heavenly Father, he gets access to incredible hope, promises, power, answered prayer, and perfect love. It's power to become, power to overcome, and power to sustain and remain steadfast. And most importantly, power to love perfectly. And I'm going to tell you all right now, only the heavenly father can give you access to those things. You cannot do it in your own strength. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's a gift from him. He gifts you himself. It's the grace of God, the divine influence of God, the governmental grace of God directing you and guiding you because you made a decision to be broken and submitted to him no matter what. What if it was all about your wife? It was for Jesus. What if it was all about the next generation? It was for Jesus. And if you're single, make, become marriage material. Be a, be a man after God's own heart. And God will bring you a woman after his heart. That's what God did for me. I blew it up the first time, married and divorced. It was toxic. It was traumatic. It was a horrible situation. And I waited 13 years after I got divorced. And when I was 40, God brought me the most amazing woman I could ever ask for. And since that time, she has brought refining, care, love, and supernatural favor to my life. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. In my best day, I could not have the favor that I have right now. And I don't want to boast and brag about the great things that God's doing because it's been really hard, but he's doing great things. And it could have never happened without him. Men, my challenge to you today, all men, young, old, single, married, grandpas, you're all called to be fathers. Whether you're going to have children or whether you're past children, you're called to be spiritual fathers. We got sons, I got a seven-year-old, about to be eight-year-old that's gonna be raised up in this church. Where are the men at? 
We got so many kids. This church is busting at the seams with kids. My gosh, there's gotta be something in the coffee. Gotta be something in the coffee. We are busting at the seams with children. Where's the men at? We need heavenly men. You know what's funny? I'm just gonna say this. The world would, would pervert this title, but God has the standard. Everything the world offers is a counterfeit. Pornography is a counterfeit. Drunkenness is a counterfeit. Entertainment, counterfeit. So I just feel the Lord right now just wanting to touch your heart. And I just want to say to the men, I love you. We're all in it together. And just walking in this church takes a lot. Why? Because this isn't a normal church. It's normal by the kingdom design. But the spiritual activity, the battles that we have to fight, sometimes to just get here, if you're going to flame on for the things of God, you better believe the devil's going to work on over time to knock you back. And you got to learn to discern the voices in your head, folks. There's five voices speaking at all times. Five. Five voices always trying to speak in your head. You know what they are? The number one voice that you hear the most is yourself, okay? The number one voice you should be hearing is God's. Then you have the voice of others in your life, right? And then you have the voice of this world, the spirit of this age that's constantly speaking against you, right? And then you have God's written word. These voices and these words are always speaking to us. If we'll listen and we'll pay attention, we'll hear the voice to follow. My sheep know my voice and another voice they will not follow. Oh, and the other one's the devil. You got the devil, you got God, you got yourself, you got others, and you have the spirit of this age. The easiest one to turn off is the spirit of this age. The problem is, is in the palm of everybody's hand, there's addiction. You may, the ability to be addicted. I go out in places, I see teenagers, young adults, every two seconds, every two seconds, phone, 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 phone. And it's like, man, I can't stand that thing anymore. I'm serious. If you text me and I don't get back to you for a day, it's because 25 other people text me and I could be on that phone all the time. And the temptation to always be checking the news and always checking your social media and all that stuff, I have to make a conscious decision to deny myself that because there are kids walking. I'm thank God I didn't have this when I was growing up. And parents, you better put filters on your phones. You better watch everything that they do. I'm telling you right now, you be extra aggressive. Don't assume that your little son or daughter wouldn't be looking at porn. Shut it down. Don't even give them the chance. Yeah. All right, let's all stand. Come on, men. Let's be like Abraham. Even say that, Lord, make me like Abraham. Make me like Noah. Build the ark, Dad. You know what? It's going to rain, but it's never rained before. Something's coming we've never seen before, but you can build an ark now. Let's get this sanctuary done. The harvest is coming. I'm telling you. It'd be easier to just stay where we're at, but we can't. God's going to shift homes. He's going to shift careers. He's going to shift jobs. God's going to shift your location. 
God's gonna change a lot of things in your life because of what's coming. Walk by faith, get out of your comfort zone. So let's pray. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for the men right now. If you're around a man, now you're gonna know if you're not sure if you're a man, your plumbing is your prophecy. Your plumbing is your prophecy, all right? Reach over and touch a man next to you. Touch a man next to you. Come on, touch touch the men around you. Men, close your eyes. I'm, I'm gonna pray over you. God, I thank you for men like Abraham, men like Noah, men like Issachar, men like Philip, men like David. I thank you for the Nathans and the Gads, the seers and the prophets in the house of God. I thank you so much, Lord, that this house is full of men after your heart. I thank you so much for strong marriages, men that love their wives as Christ loved the, loved the church and gave himself. Thank you for men that become the word of God in flesh. Thank you for strong men, a church of strong fathers. And with the fatherless crisis in this world, Lord, I thank you that the church is going to have strong men and strong fathers to be the answer to a world in crisis. Thank you that our significance is not in our stuff, but it's found in you. And thank you, Lord, that we are looking for something better, a city built by God whose maker is God. Thank you for the heavenly Jerusalem the heavenly mountain. Thank you, God, that we're moving forward as strangers and pilgrims. We confess that we're strangers in a foreign land and we're okay to be strangers in a foreign land. Earth is not our final destination. And while we're here, Lord, may we tend and keep the garden. May we not bite the apple, none of us. May we live hooked to the vine, the tree of life. I speak to all your children right now the ones that are combusting in the prodigals. Lord, show yourself to them. Show yourself strong. And may we be like the Father with a ready ring. May we always have the ring ready. The ring is ready. Prepare the ring. The sons and daughters are coming home. Turn the hearts of the fathers. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. The sons to the fathers. God will give you the design of how to build, how to create. Give us vision, Lord. Declare the decree. Today, you're my son. The sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Make us men and women after your heart. 
We love you so much, Lord. I bless you all. I bless you. I bless you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May his countenance be all over your life. May he hedge you in and hem you in. May he always go before you and behind you. May you know the heavenly father, the heavenly man. May the heavenly gift be activated in you. Heavenly women, prophetesses, prophets, children that prophesy. People seated in heavenly places. Governmental authority over the demonic activity in the second heaven. You are heads, not tails, beloved. The the body and the bride of Christ. And I bless you. I bless you your family, your home. In Jesus' name, amen.